It is Locked on Jazz for the 30th of November. The best performance of the season by the Utah Jazz. Have they discovered something? Rudy Gobert's as dominant as ever, and Joe Ingles is thriving in the starting lineup. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms. Hit subscribe, follow, whatever it is. If you're on YouTube, hit the little bell to get notified whenever we pop an episode up. If otherwise, follow and subscribe on all of the other platforms. Thanks so much for tuning in to our daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, Locked on Jazz. Uh, They were as good last night as they have been all year. That was great. Uh, In fact, the last two games have been uh, terrific, and we've got a bunch of things to talk about. Rudy's out of this world, starting last and better. Ball is pinged. So the most optimistic point of view of what has happened here is that they hit their nadir. They played three games not very well, and they realized that if they play that way, they can lose to anyone. And they've come out of it and started playing the game much more together, much more ball movement. And it's the natural progression of a season and what they all, what they all needed to do that. We kind of knew the whole time. We have a bunch of good guys. We have a bunch of guys that want to win. We have a bunch of guys that care about each other. And um, that's what they have to have. Okay. That's, that's the optimistic point of view. Um, The glass half empty point of view would be, a little bit that they just torched two of the worst defensive teams in the league. New Orleans is 27th. Portland is 29th. Portland's defense last night was miserable. Um, They actually played Memphis the other night, who's 30th. I mean, we've actually had this kind of crazy run of horrendous defensive teams. Sacramento's 25th, Toronto's 26th, New Orleans, two games, 27th, Portland's 29th. Their scheme is ridiculous. And Memphis is 30th. So there's a little bit of that the last two games, to me, we're also playing teams that are not uh, up to being able to handle us if we play right. It actually just makes some of the games in which we've played more disturbing because there, there's just no reason why we shouldn't be really, frankly, doing the same thing to Memphis this year. Um, New Orleans is playing way better. Uh, I think they've won four of seven now. They're kind of without Brandon Ingram and without some of their other guys. I think there's a little bit that um, they're they're a little bit misleading. Portland came in last night with the unique defensive composition of allowing the most amount of shots at the rim and also allowing their 25th in the league – 
at allowing shots at the rim. Last night, we didn't get a lot. We just dunked. And then 27th in the league at allowing corner threes. They're the only defense other than the New York Knicks and the Minnesota Timberwolves who are in the bottom 10 of each of those categories. I think the Houston Rockets were for a while. Like, you really can't be allowing shots at the rim and allowing corner threes. Like, that's not great. And we, and what the Jazz did last night by playing right is completely exploited that. Like, our shot chart last night is silly. The final numbers, according to Cleaning the Glass, is we took 15 corner threes last night. We only had 15 rim shots. Um, 13 to 15 at the rim for 87% will work for you. Um, as Rudy Gobert had eight dunks, <clears throat> which I believe, according to Andy Larson, was the number one dunk number by any player all year. Our half-court rating last night was a 114 in the half-court, 95th percentile. Our overall offense last night was in the was the 100th percentile. Last night, according to Clean the Glass, if I understand how they do this correctly, we had the single best offensive performance of any team in the league. So anytime you have something like that, I'll, I'll be, I take it as a little bit of both sides. Um, but we're, but we played very, very well last night. We did not get out and run much. We were in the seventh percentile in fast breaks. So we just lived in the half court and we were dominant, absolutely dominant ball movement, got it to where we wanted, dealt with their over rotating defense, understood it. We have such continuity when we're not selfish in that circumstance, we crush people. Uh, and that's exactly what happened last night. They they were over-rotating. They were bringing two to the ball handler. They have to cover so much for Dame and CJ as bad defensive players that they over-rotated, tried to be aggressive on the ball, have to bring then another small guy in to deal with the rotation. It's a lot of the, a lot of their defensive pitfalls are a lot of things you've heard us talk about, but they just don't have Rudy, right? And so... You know, CJ and Dame are too short. If you send two guys the ball and you bring Anthony Simons or Nazar Little or somebody else over from the other side, they're too short to deal with Rudy rolling. It's a lot of the same stuff that you hear from us, frankly. And what's wrong defensively? We just happen to have the greatest defensive player in the world in the middle, and he changes everything. Uh, he has been about as incredible as you can be right now. So last night, according to the... NBA shot chart, and I actually can go now to the official NBA shot chart. Dame Lillard takes 12 shots last night. The first thing is that he only takes 12 shots is incredible work by our defense. He goes one of five in the paint in the around the basket last night. One of five. CJ McCollum, I believe, went, and I'll check it here to make sure because now that we have the official box score out to show it, went seven of 17 last night. And he went three for nine. I had him as two for eight, but they call him three for nine. So they're two best guys. And Brandon Ingram over two nights just simply didn't take a shot in the restricted area. These are, these are a little further out than restricted area. Uh, Rudy was just incredible. They put the jazz played him higher on the pick and roll than they have, which then really Dane made the right play in some ways. Indirectly, the Jazz were playing like almost a similar defensive scheme to what Portland was doing. They just did it so much better. 
and their floor spacing was so much better. And their amount of shooters they had on the floor was so much better that they were completely able to exploit. Now, to some extent, when we talk about Portland's defense being as bad as it was last night, there's a level of it's because of the amount of shooting the Jazz have on the floor. You can leave Robert Covington and Nazar Little a lot more than you can leave Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, Donovan Mitchell, or Mike Conley. Let's go back to Rudy for a second. What he's doing right now is absurd. So Rudy now leads the league in shots contested per night at 18.4. Opponents are shooting 37.7% when he's defending. It is nine percentage points better than league average. He is now having a better statistical defensive year than he did a year ago. He's actually now defending, last year he defended 19.1 shots, second most in the league. This year's at 18.4, the most in the league. Inside six feet, it's just silly. Inside six feet, Rudy is now defending 8.2 shots per game. Teams are shooting 44%, 44% inside six feet when Rudy Gobert is the closest defender. That number last year was 48%. He's at 16%. Defenses are at 16, excuse me, offenses are shooting 16 percentage points lower than league average, 16.4. Last year, he was at 14. Here's what's crazy, is this is all, like, Rudy did not start the year brilliantly defensively. He was not having as big an impact. In fact, the reason I ran a bunch of these numbers was trying to figure out, like, what's going on? Is Rudy, in the last five games, Rudy's defended 21 shots a game, and opponents are shooting 33% on those shots. 33% in the last five games. I don't know if it goes back further. That's just where I hadn't run the numbers since then. Inside six feet in the last five games, Rudy Gobert is defending nine shots a game. Teams are shooting 39.5 percentage points, 39.5 inside six feet, 20 percentage points below league average. I feel like I've got to say those things again. In the last five games, inside six feet, teams are shooting 20 percentage points below league average if Rudy Gobert is the closest defender. And overall, for this last five games, when Rudy Gobert, first of all, Rudy Gobert in the last five games is defending 21 shots a game. Most of anyone in the league has played more than two games. Teams are shooting 33%, which is 14 percentage points below what those average quality of those shots are. The only other player in the top 50... who's defending is bot at that level actually is Bobby Portis in Milwaukee and Robin Lopez in Orlando. Boy, I'd love him. Those are Rudy's just on another planet. 
And what he did last night just bent the entire game. We'll dig into a little bit more of that um, as we continue on that. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. Located at 4646 South State Street. Also located in Logan and in Linden. Blake Murdoch's just a great dude. Brent Barry, good friend of mine, works with the Spurs now, former NBA player. Just got a place out here in Park City. Yesterday, just drops me a note and says, hey, do you have any car connections? And I was like, yep, here you go. Blake just takes care of him. Like, they're already, like, took care of him in, like, literally 10 minutes. It's just such a cool thing. Uh, so appreciative of that. Uh, the Murdochs have been in Utah for 80 years. They're vowed that they will not increase MSRP in any way, shape, or form during the car shortage that's going on right now. So you don't have to worry about being gouged. The second thing is Hyundai's begun to get cars in. So if it's right now is the perfect time if you're going to trade in a you trade in a car um, and get a new one. Here's the latest of what I have for you on sh- uh, cars that are coming in because there's finally some real incoming flux. Um, this was as of uh, about two weeks ago, 11 days. There were 11 launchers, uh, launchers incoming and five available. Eight Sonatas and three available. I'm driving the Sonata right now. It's beautiful. On the SUV, there's a bunch of Tucsons coming in and available, even some Tucson hybrids. Ton of Santa Fe's coming in, about 36 of them, 21 currently available. And Palisades, 20 of them incoming, but only two available. So you got to jump on um, all of those items right now over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Linden and in Logan. Today's show is also brought to you by Truebill. This is a pretty interesting concept. So they, they'll tell you that their primary value is that they're here to help you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. The average person saves up to $720 with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel all your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there for you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Uh, They've saved over $100 million for 2 million users. Don't fall for the subscription scam. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. It also just does a great job of coordinating your all your accounts, when your bills are due, things of that nature. I'm using it right now and I'm very impressed. Right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save a thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Uh, let's run through our, we always kind of run through the quick box score last night. And then I want to address the question of whether or not Joe Ingles should be starting. Um, but it's always kind of fun to just kind of see the impact of our game last night. So last night was interesting because we couldn't get the offense going in the first quarter. And if you were listening to the radio broadcast, and even I think I tweeted it out, it was like abundantly clear that the Jazz were going to figure it out, that they had they had figured it out. They just hadn't made the shots to go with it yet. Um, but we had the under 100 defensive rating in the first quarter. Um, the defensive rating with Rudy Gobert on the floor in the first quarter was a 46.7. A 46.7. How about that? For the team, it was an 87.2, 87.5. Our offense was only a 92. And then the second quarter, our offense ignites. We have a 133 offensive rating, which is incredible. Our defensive rating was a 113. Um, our bench unit, actually, of Clarkson, Gay, and Forrest defended really, really well. Trent Forrest played six minutes Got extended run last night. Did a really nice job in that first half. 
Defensive rating with Rudy on the floor is a 107. Uh, and the offense exploded. In the third quarter, it was just a complete offensive battle on both sides. The offensive rating for the Jazz, are you ready for this? In the third quarter last night was a 171. That is a laughably high number. We averaged 1.7 points every time we crossed half court last night. In the third quarter, when Mike and Rudy were on the floor and Joe were on the floor together, it was a 1.8. I mean, really a dominating performance. The defense was not good in that time period. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, we kind of stopped playing defense. In the fourth quarter, we decided we probably should play play defense again. We plugged back in on the defensive end, held them to 100, and our offensive rating was a 152. Here's a stunning number on how great the Jazz were offensively last night. The Jazz second half offense last night was a offensive rating of a 161. With Donovan Mitchell on the floor and last night, Mike Conley, actually our starting group on the floor in the second half last night, we were a 1.7 offensively. That's why it was the best offensive game of any team in the NBA. All right, let's address Joe Ingles in the starting lineup. So here's a few, there's a bunch of different angles here. But the really, here's, here's the number one thing about it. I think what the Jazz got reminded over the last two days is that that lineup's really good. And it's it's a lineup that they had gotten away from a little bit. And so I think that's really valuable. Taking the next step, which is that that should be our starting lineup, is a mistake. Because Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley are all in their 30s. And if you start that lineup, last night Mike Conley's guarding Dame Lillard. The night before Joe Ingles is guarding Brandon Ingram. You'll wear them out. It's really not an option for that to be a starting lineup and go through an 82-game schedule guarding the primary guy every single night. It, it, it'll wear them out. You'll never get anything out of Joe. Is it a lineup that we can use more than maybe we have. That's a legitimate. So they had not played together all year going into this stretch. Uh, it's a lineup that from the very first day we signed Boyan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley, I thought was our death lineup. I just thought it was completely unguardable lineup. Uh, right now it's, you know, in 67 possessions, it's through the roof. There's some unnatural aspects to it. Teams aren't shooting well, things like that. Last year, it only played 23 possessions. Two years ago, when we first put the team together, or they put the first put the team together, it played 473 possessions and it flopped. The, they, the Jazz actually built their entire rotation around getting to this lineup. <clears throat> and it completely flopped. It was a minus seven per 100 possessions. It was one of the worst lineups we had. It's where the idea that maybe Joe and Boyan shouldn't be on the floor together at the same time defensively started. And since then, they really haven't gone back to it. In 2021, they only played at 23 possessions all season long. And in 21-22, this year they've now played back-to-back -back games. It's now played 67 possessions together. It's worth revisiting. That's, instead of this idea that it should suddenly become the starting lineup, I would go with it should it's worth revisiting. Again, it's not a good option as a starting lineup 
um, is the fact that we don't want to wear out our older guys and that Royce guarding the number one option on the floor, you know, for 50 to 60 to 70% of the time has incredible value. But is there some level where we should be trying to work our way to get to that lineup at different times, or at least Quinn should feel more comfortable going to that lineup two nights against two of the worst offensive teams in the NBA would say yes. Now that's who lack a lot of different offensive options. There's, I think there's a lot of lineups that would look really good if our sample size was new Orleans and Portland. I think that's important too, is to, take a look at that and realize who we're going up against. I did try to see if, so Royce O'Neal gets the most open shots of anyone in the NBA. Royce O'Neal's QSQ, which is a second spectrum number, which uh, um, looks at uh, shot quality um, of players, is the best of any player in the NBA. Um, in other words, what that means is that Royce is getting the best looks of any player in the league every year. Um, if you look so far this year, I have to look and see what, um, how many shots Royce has taken and, and run my filters right um, to get this. Give me one second. Rudy Gobert right now has the highest shot quality, I think, of any player um, in the league. And if you want to take players to take it, what if we played 20 games, take at least 40 shots? In a game all year long, um, let me see if I can find Royce. But Rudy's number one, obviously, with all the dunks. And Royce is about 20. He's in the 88th percentile this year, 33rd in the league in uh, shot quality. Um, Now, if you go and change this and say, okay, well, I only want to know shot quality on threes, then um, you're going to end up with Rudy... I think then Royce becomes the number one in the NBA. So Royce gets the most open looks of any player in the league over the years. Um, This year, that is not the case. Um, Interestingly enough, this year it's Russell Westbrook and then followed by, oh, I might, I might have too many filters on here. Let's back this off a little bit. Um, And then Gordon Hayward's up near the top as well, but I had too many filters on it. Uh, Royce is 15th in the league this year. So he's not getting as good a looks as he has in years past, maybe our lack of ball movement, maybe some other things in the years past, he's been the number one uh, look on the, in the league. Uh, Russell is, is up there now because everyone's letting him shoot and giving him wide open looks. So I decided to take a second based on that and see whether or not Joe got better shot quality tonight than he did in the last few nights than he did in other games. And I was really surprised at what I've saw. And that is the opposite. Um, Joe had much better games and so maybe he's more involved and he's more engaged and he makes a bunch more plays and he does some things like that. But the fact is that Joe shot quality against um, New Orleans in the second game was his fourth worst of the season of any game in which he's taken at least four shots. And against Portland, it's actually a little bit below average, but basically right in the middle of the pack. He just had great shooting nets. So it's not that Joe's getting different looks in those games. It's that somehow Joe is getting, is more engaged, feels better, maybe has a fifth defender guarding him. 
I'm not entirely, I'd have to really dig in. I'm not entirely sure what it is, <clears throat> but in that sense, there isn't actually any data that backs up that Joe's looks are dramatically different. He, but he certainly played. I mean, he averaged 15 points, four rebounds, four assists, shot 64% and 61% from three. I do think who we played uh, matters a great deal in that. Um, and so I think that that's, um, you know, I wouldn't want to get too carried away with it. Uh, but it's it's worth noting. But the bigger picture is, to me, that what we saw was that lineup that we saw is worth uh, getting out there. That lineup is worth having out um, on the floor. And it's a lineup that we've gone away from because it flopped two years ago to see whether or not it might be more valuable uh, coming up. Uh, we'll take some of your questions and uh, address some of the other final things out there. We usually do power rankings on Tuesday, but since we're not going to have a ton of content with no games tomorrow, I think we'll do it on Wednesday. Um, you know, Phoenix has won like 16 in a row. I thought it'd be interesting to go see if betonline.ag has moved them past the Lakers as well. They were just kind of the team that the the odds makers was, were not buying into at all. Uh, so here's the latest NBA futures. Brooklyn's at plus 275. Warriors are at plus 425. Milwaukee's at plus 750. And Phoenix and Utah are at plus 950 to win the title with the Lakers at plus 1,000. The Western Conference, Golden State's at plus 210. Phoenix and Utah are at plus 425. And the Lakers are at plus 500. Here's what's interesting. I've sold this season as, you know, there's 9, 10 teams that can win the title. And I still think that's probably true. But if you look at the odds makers, they really have it down to three teams in the West. The Warriors at 210, the Suns at 425, the Jazz at 425. And in the East, they really have it as two teams, Brooklyn at 150 and Milwaukee at plus 325. Those are to win their to win their division or conferences and maybe a little Miami in there. Um, under 500 overall, there's only plus 275 for Brooklyn, plus 425 for the Warriors, plus 750 for the Bucks, plus 950 for the Suns and the Jazz. And plus 1,000, the Lakers. Like, it's it's actually thinning out quite a bit. You can get involved at betonline.ag as well. They've got spe- uh, promo code locked on. We'll get you a 50% welcome bonus. They got the NFL action for you. All sorts of uh, fun other things to, to play along with. UFC, NHL, boxing. It's all at the number one spot for all your sports action this season. Receive a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code locked on bet online where the game starts. All right. Um, a s- turnovers last night. We had like one live ball turnover the whole game last night. That was, that's kind of awesome. Uh, all right, let's get to some of the questions. Um, we have our troll back. He doesn't want me to call him a troll. Um, so I'll just call him the world's most negative man in the world is back in our chat room, which is fine. It adds to, it adds to energy. Five turnovers last night. Is that the lowest in team history? I do not think it's the lowest in team history. Um, You know, it, it was good to see last night. They moved the ball. Well, there's a lot of moving uh, of the ball last night and have only five turnovers is pretty good. Uh, Looking at our roster, should Royce play less than the eight players who can do more damage on offense? The offense seems more lethal at all five spots. So I do think that the offense, it's it's worth um, – let's concede and admit that the offense, when you have Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, and Donovan Mitchell all on the floor, does run better than when Royce O'Neal's on the floor because the defensive guys are adjusting 
four or five. There, there, there's a there are a few steps further off Roy's clogging the lane. There are a few steps closer to Boyan or Joe, whoever's guarding the set. That that that's hundred percent true, and that's why that lineup is worth revisiting. The spacing's just a little better. Teams have to go all the way out. The ball moves. Everyone's a real threat to shoot it. They don't really guard Royce. Royce is the guy that they decide, hey, he shoots 39% from three, but if someone's going to shoot, we want to be Royce, so we'll sag off of him, cut off Donovan, cut off the other lanes. They don't have someone to do that with in that lineup. But again, let's not underestimate the value of Royce's 30 minutes guarding the number one option every night. Royce's rebounding is incredible. Royce's ball movement is great. His commitment to always doing what the team needs, like the guy's invaluable. So don't misunderstand the conversation. He goes right back into the starting lineup. He needs to be in the starting lineup. His low usage is important as well. He does everything we need to do. That lineup that we just used the last two nights is worth revisiting. And that's, I think, um, there. You know, the other big picture item, guys, is there's two ways to look at this. We've won six of eight or they've won six of eight. And the only two losses are where weird reviews came into play. And we didn't play great for a little bit, but also Donovan didn't play great. Like, you know, it's hard to win if your best player is shooting below 30%. It's hard to win when Jordan Clarkson was shooting below 30%, but it's really hard to win when Donovan's doing it. So as Donovan said last night, the shots are beginning to go back in. Like, I think if we start to run Donovan's catch and shoot numbers, they're beginning to warm back up and and we're beginning to see him kind of get back to his numbers at, that you would anticipate him to be at. And he'll get there. I don't have any doubt on it. Same way Dame's kind of getting there until last night for Portland. And so, I mean, Donovan's last two years catch and shoot, 43%, 43%. And then as of about three games ago, Donovan's catch and shoot was 31%. His catch and shoot now after the last two nights is still there. Wow. He's at 29%. So I hadn't updated it. Um, I mean, that number is not going to last. He's one of the best catch and shoot guys in the league. Shots start to go in. He gets better. We get better. But so, you know, the Jazz have won six of eight. Two of them are games where Donovan's just off and two of them are weird review games. Now we probably also played a rock, a, a schedule where you would think you could have won possibly one eight straight, even though your win probability is only 70, 75% in those games. And so we've in turn, we've kind of done what you expected to do. Um, but I think that that's, um, I think that that's a, a little bit, you know, when we're trying to evaluate where the team is, that's worth noting. Uh, nice to see the jazz play good defense on a statistically good offensive team as well. That's a, a terrific point. That's a terrific point by Riker. We, we talked about it earlier this week. We've not played some of the best, the best offensive teams. Golden State haven't played. Portland just played. Atlanta did all right against. Phoenix haven't played. Charlotte haven't played. Miami, eh. Philadelphia played without their guys. Chicago's number nine and Brooklyn's 10. So we haven't played some of those teams. And now we had a really good um, defensive outing against one of, the, or a pretty good defensive outing. We had a bad third quarter, um, which I think jacked up our numbers a little bit. I'm looking right now, um, you know, our our worst defensive games so far this year are against Miami, Memphis, Miami, and Portland last night. It's actually our fourth worst defensive game. A little misleading because our offense was so good. Um, but those, you know, those are the four teams we've played that are top, other than Atlanta, that are top offensive teams. Memphis is 11th, Miami's in the top 10, and Portland. 
Um, it's the way it should be, but it's also, you know, that's a little disconcerting. Atlanta, we really stymied both times for whatever reason. One, they weren't playing as well, and two, we kind of have their numbers. So last night is true, though it wasn't it wasn't brilliant. That third quarter, we kind of let go of the rope a little bit on that. But Riker, it's a good point. Um, let's see what this says. A few weeks ago, you talked about passing numbers were way down. Are they uh, during our? Are they up during great offensive nights like last night? Um, I don't know. They there is usually not a great correlation, to be honest with you, between. Um, high passing nights and good offensive nights. That's actually, it's, it's good representation of, you know, Hey, we're not moving the ball. We're getting switching defenses. We didn't move the ball and the passing numbers are down, but it's actually not a very good representation that shows whether or not our offense is good or not. So I'll have to look that I'll have that for you tomorrow uh, on the show. This is locked on jazz. Thanks very much. We had a big audience today. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the live group. Thanks very much for all of you that tuned in. Remember you can subscribe on Whatever platform you're grabbing this podcast, leave a five-star review. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen today. Locked on Bets is a fun, fast-hitting, enjoyable show that gives you a good breakdown on all the things going on in the gaming world and sports betting world if you want to get into the action. It's all at Locked on Bets. Make it your second listen today. Thanks very much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.